Hello again. This is Royce Rocket Radio recorded on Christmas Eve on the 24th of the December 2014 at 32 minutes past 7 in the evening. Now I'm trying a little experiment this time. I'm recording the podcast simultaneously on two devices, uh, my Moto E using the Sony recording app, uh, free app, Android app, and my Sony PCM M10 portable solid state digital recorder thingy. We'll just uh, see which one comes out best this time, and then I'll use that one for the podcast. So yeah, this is a Christmas Eve podcast, as promised. I think I might have overstretched myself in saying what I could and couldn't manage uh, to do this Christmas, but we'll see how it goes. I'm still planning another one tomorrow and another one on Boxing Day, but by then I'll probably be running out of things to say. As it is, this is going to be a shorter podcast uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, First, I'm getting a bit tired, and secondly... At 8 o'clock, Skyfall is on again, and I just want to chill out on the sofa and watch that. So, happy Christmas Eve! I was going to talk about the second Amicus film, Dalek's Invasion Earth, 2150 AD from 1966 tonight, but it's a madhouse here, and I just can't find the movie, so I'm sorry I've let you down. I will try and find it tomorrow, but I can't make any promises. One of the things we're going to do tonight is remedy the mess I made of last night because for some reason I was so nervous. I ended up not fully explaining the plot of the movie. So this time I'm actually going to talk about the plot. So just to recap, Peter Cushing is Doctor Who. Robert Tovey, Roberta Tovey, sorry, is Susan, and Jenny Linden is Barbara, and Roy Castle is Ian. If you cast your mind back to yesterday, uh, and just remember that Susan is no longer a teenager, she's a child. Um, The script is adapted from Terry Nation's original TV scripts for the Daleks, 1963. Uh, It was written by... Mr. Amicus himself, Milton Sabotsky, and another uncredited writer whose name escapes me at the moment. I found, just to recap, I found that it was, uh, I I thought that it was uh, a lovely looking colour movie, obviously made for the big screen, and also made to appeal to a broad, though also a younger cinema audience. There are some differences between this movie and the original TV series, but we'll talk about that in a bit. So, the plot. I'll just run you through a brief synopsis. Doctor Who, Susan, Barbara, who uh, are his granddaughters in this, so Barbara is not uh, an unrelated teacher. She's actually his granddaughter. Uh, Susan also remains his granddaughter, albeit his younger one. And Ian, too, who is a teacher. Well, I, I don't know if he is a teacher or not, but he is uh, definitely a, a suitor for Barbara. 
so Ian meets the trio, Doctor Who, Susan and Barbara, at his house and finds out that the Doctor has invented in his back garden a TARDIS. Incidentally, Doctor Who is the guy's name this time. It's not Doctor Who, it's Doctor Who, as in Mr. Who. And they all go into the TARDIS to have a look, and Ian, who is a bit clumsy, accidentally turns the thing on, and they end up in a petrified forest. After exploring for a bit, they're obviously not on Earth, they find a mysterious case that's been left outside the TARDIS. Leaving the case behind, they explore uh, a nearby city, Uh, And the pretext that the Doctor gives them for this is that he needs Mercury for his fluid link in order to return to Earth. The TARDIS needs this small piece of apparatus. This is, of course, the same as in the original serial. In the city, the Doctor's Geiger counter starts rattling away, indicating that they have radiation sickness. Uh, Shortly after this, the Daleks take them captive, and also uh, the Doctor's fluid link uh, trick uh, backfires on him because the Daleks confiscate it, and now they really are trapped on the planet, which incidentally turns out to be Scaro. The team find out that the mysterious case contains a Thal cure to the radiation. Now the Thals are the uh, opposing force to the Daleks in that war that devastated Skaro. If you... A lot of stuff is retconned later on in the... Uh, in, in Doctor Who and it turns out that the the Daleks uh, are a reversal or, or an anagram of Khaled's who were the other race uh, humanoid race on Scaro, uh, but that's kind of irrelevant to this particular story, so I'll leave it there. So now that they uh, find out that there's a, a cure for the radiation sickness, the Daleks offer to share the cure if Susan can retrieve the case. And they do this because they're actually trapped in the city. Unlike the Thals, who are mutants who have developed a a resistance to the radiation, the Daleks have never left the city. Uh, They've just, uh, well, they've changed themselves from humanoid to uh, a small creature that lives inside a robotic shell. Uh, But they aren't radiation-proof, so they do need this cure so that they can leave the city. Uh, and they need this cure to leave the city because they still they still hold a grudge against the Thals and they want to finish them off once and for all. Fortunately, the group eventually escapes in a very similar way to the way they escaped on the serial by covering a Dalek with uh, a cloak. Uh, I think it's a Thal cloak. It's a cloak of some kind anyway. So they escape the city meet up with the the Thals and rally the Thals who are ostensibly a a peaceable agrarian people Uh, they basically the Doctor goads them into becoming aggressive 
uh, and turns them into an army with which to attack the Daleks. Eventually, the Doctor does get the fluid link back and says goodbye to the Thals and leaves. Uh, the the bit that I just missed out and glossed over in my nervousness and my my <laughs> my determination to finish this quickly is there's a big war between the Thals and the Daleks. And it's quite well filmed, it's very colourful, there are lots of large explosions. And everything has that slick, um, new, clean, kind of futuristic and plasticky look, especially the Daleks themselves. Their shells are very nicely finished in reds and blues and silvers, uh, only to be blown up, of course. So after the Thals annihilate the Daleks, and that's something interesting because the Daleks are actually uh, completely wiped out in this particular story. Like I said, the Doctor gets a fluid link back and makes his final goodbyes to the Thals. Uh, and that's it. The TARDIS disappears once more. Uh, but rematerializes in a battlefield, and we're left with a cliffhanger ending, with the t TARDIS about to be attacked by a, an army. Um, so my view of the series is that, sorry, is this, of the series of this movie is, well, if you basically want to know what I think, uh, just go back and listen to yesterday's episode. But, uh, briefly, I thought it was a little bit silly, uh, although that's perhaps an unfair thing to say. Maybe it's a bit more aimed at a younger audience, as I said before. But it is entertaining, it is colourful, and it has good SFX. And because I'm a, f a fan of Amicus Productions anyway, um, you know, I'm giving it the, the benefit of being something that they created. The original serial by Terry Nation of the same story is more grown up, serious and a bit grimmer. Uh, so, all in all, I think they both come out about equal by the way, if you want to hear me talk about the original story from the TV Doctor Who, uh, go back to podcast number 34. So that's it for Doctor Who and the Daleks, the first Amicus film, and the first uh, Doctor Who film from 1965. Uh, like I said, if I do manage to find the second film, I'll talk about it tomorrow. If not, we'll have to talk about something else. So next, Baltimore, the plague ships. Now I read this today, it's something I just picked up in the library, you've read for it in about an hour. It's by Mike Mignola of uh, Hellboy fame and Christopher Golden, a horror novelist. Uh, ben Stanback does the art and there are others involved too. Uh, the comic book is by Dark Horse and I read the collected hardback edition from 2012. The hardback trade from 2012. <clears throat> a 
Apparently, this is a comic book expansion of an earlier illustrated novel by Mignola and Golden. So I'll just run you through it a little. Our protagonist is someone called Lord Henry Baltimore, a World War I veteran, who inadvertently starts an apocalyptic vampire war slash zombie plague. So if vampires aren't enough, we've got zombies too. And he un- he starts this... Um, he sets in motion this terrible disaster after wounding a vampire called Hygus uh, during the war in the trenches. On his return home, he, his family is wiped out by Hygus who has sworn revenge on him for starting this feud in the first place. And the now wounded, one-legged Baltimore, armed to the teeth, goes on the rampage. And by armed to the teeth, I really mean armed to the teeth. I've I've seen attached to him, uh, he carries rifles, uh, pistols, sabres, well, a sabre, uh, a dagger or a bayonet, um, a Gurkha Kukri, um, a harpoon. Did I say harpoon already? This is like a what's it, the generation game where you've got a long list of things to talk about and I'm talking about a long list of weapons. Uh, he, he's basically armed to the teeth. It's like that scene in uh, Mad Max Beyond the Thunderdome where Max uh, wants to enter Barter Town. And he has to give up his weapons, and this takes about, you know, uh, not literally five minutes, but it feels like a good five minutes of unloading every single weapon that you can think of. Actually, there's a similar scene with Kira Knightley in one of the Pirates of the Caribbean films, but again, I'm digressing, and time's running out, and Skyfall's going to be on soon, so I'll leave that for now. The art is dark and muted, except for the reds, uh, which is kind of appropriate considering this is a story about vampires, and it's very violent, and uh, and it is a horror comic. The art puts me in mind of the fictional comic book, Tales of the Black Freighter, uh, the comic book within the Watchman comic book uh, series from 1986 to 1987. The story is fairly engaging, though it does seem to be entirely uh, lack of any sense of humour whatsoever. Even though there are opportunities for humour, still, you know, The Walking Dead is pretty deadpan too. One obvious thing that I think they could have done, which I was kind of curious about, is how uh, Lord Henry Baltimore himself uh, goes from a guy with a nice full head of hair to uh, a, an extremely bald guy, and it's never explained. I th- think, uh, considering he has a female companion with him for some of the time, she could have said, you know, like, what, what happened to your hair? <laughs> okay, next games, Riders in the Mist. I just thought I'd give you a development update. And today, after thinking I'd finish, I went completely mad and added another twist for one of the three playable characters. Uh, In order to do this, I've added six playable passages, uh, which basically means, if you're used to choose your own adventure, 
games. I've added six pages, and there are a few more choices. Many of the choices in this game do lead to horrible death, although, uh, you know, death isn't inevitable. <laughs> you just have to try and avoid making the wrong choices. In a couple of days, I'll put up the link, uh, but that's all I've got to say for now. So thanks for listening. Uh, in an hour or so, in a couple of hours, I'll edit this and post it up into iTunes and all my syndication feed, uh, RSS feed, so my syndicators can get it and you can download it. So that's it for the show. Uh, this was Rise Rocket Radio, recorded on the 24th of December 2014, Christmas Eve, and this was episode 60. The time at the end of the show is 51 minutes past 7 in the evening. So, again, thanks for listening, and see you tomorrow on Christmas Day. Bye for now. Bye!